In a world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. It really is a thing. I, uh, I had no idea. I, okay, sorry, folks. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm looking here on my trusty iPad Pro at a website that is dedicated to something that I did not, I had never heard, I have not heard of this yet. Um, but I heard about it last night at a, an event that we were doing, and somebody asked a question about this. And I, I, I never, so Industry 5.0, there isn't it. So you just thought, you thought that you were cool because you were beginning to understand Industry 4.0, and now here we are with the next version of Industry. And uh, yeah, it's so now this website is is uh, let's see, it's the European Commission. I don't, I don't know what it, I'm not sure what it's a commission on, but it's a Euro, maybe it's a European Commission on Industry. Um, but they got a whole a whole bunch of stuff here about Industry 5.0. Um, I guess the the if I were to sum it up for you. Uh, without reading this all to you, uh, Industry 5.0 is uh, kind of goes beyond the traditional goals of industry. You know, uh, things like prosperity, productivity, uh, efficiency. Uh, it, it says that's not enough. We have to get beyond that uh, to better better things and and I you know I guess I probably ought to read some more of this before I try to uh, express an opinion on it but anyway there you have it but of course we're not going to talk about that today because we are not ready at least at least in terms of uh, this podcast which by the way you are listening to the oil and gas digital doers podcast right here on the oil and gas global network the largest and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry. This show, every episode on the show is sponsored by our good friends. And when I say that, I don't mean that in a patronizing way because uh, the folks at HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, are, are, are fantastic. Uh, we love working with them. They're doing great things for the industry. And so if you don't know what HPE is doing, then you need to know. So all you got to do is go to hpe.com or uh, you know, I know that uh, some people don't really look at websites anymore. So look them up on LinkedIn. I don't know. Look, just HP, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I'm not talking about Hewlett Packard where you buy like your laptops at the at the um, at the Best Buy. That's a different company. They used to be the same company. They're not anymore. Hewlett Packard Enterprise, however, uh, and this concept of everything as a service, which I, you know sounds, I know it sounds a little bit buzzwordy, but it makes really good sense when you listen to them explain it. And uh, we love what they're doing for the industry, particularly for things happening at the edge uh, and uh, and in all the operational areas where we've got so much transformation going on with digital, new digital things. Uh, we love what they're doing. We love what, um, so we love that they sponsor the show, but we really like what they're doing for the industry. And uh, you need to check that out. It's also, you know, and it kind of ties into today's topic, which, as I said, we're not, we are not ready for the upgrade. We are not, we're not ready for the, the next version of industry. Uh, so today we're going to just stick with industry 4.0. And I got a fantastic uh, guest who I've really, I, I, I've met and worked with a little bit recently on a couple of things. And uh, he's, um, 
he's he's plugged in and he's very experienced and he's got a lot of great insights uh, in this topic. He's running a company right now that's 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 solving some great. Uh, well, they're just doing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give away the the. There's no spoilers here. I'm gonna let him tell his story. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the OGGN Spotlight, Blaine Matthew. And that brings us to our guest today, following the uh, peppy walk down music. Of course, he didn't really walk down because he is actually, we're in the remote configuration today, uh, and and we are, uh, we're connected on, on the, we used to say on the line. Nobody really says on the line. No, anymore, no, but, that's gone. That's gone. Yeah. But anyway, we are, um, but, I'm, but I'm here with Blaine. Well, I'm not here, but I'm here with Blaine Matthew. Uh, who is actually beaming in from the great state of California, and uh, and so Blaine, thanks for making time today. I know I know you're running a company, so I appreciate you uh, making time to talk. Absolutely, we're well, always interested in speaking on these topics, and uh, appreciate that, Michael. Yeah, so um, so Blaine, Blaine and I have actually just recently met, and and uh, you know have had a few different discussions on various things, and uh, and of course you were in Houston a few weeks ago, and. And uh, we uh, and, and we had a little sampling of what downtown Houston has to offer. So, um, but first, so before we get into, and we're going to be talking about some some. Uh, I don't want to give it away; it's cool stuff. But um, first, a little bit about you. I you know, so you are the you are now uh, this year. You're the CEO of uh, of this company called Protexo, and so we're going to learn about that a little bit. But also, um, you know, you have kind of a long. Uh, you have, I know you have a history of, with a bunch of different tech startups and, and, uh, someday I want to talk to you about the Adobe and Corel wars, because I, I remember those, uh, fairly, fairly <laughs> well. And I know, I, I know you got a little bit of that back there, but the interesting thing I think, uh, for today is that, um, uh, even though you're, you now live in the Bay area, you're originally from Alberta, Canada, which like we like to think of as the the Texas of Canada, is that is that is that fair to say? Is that I that's mean, fair? In fact, even Albertans like calling themselves the Texas of Canada. Well, yeah. So so that <laughs> that's fine. Go. No no problem at all. And you're right. I'm from northern Alberta originally. I was uh, surrounded by the oil industry uh, back then. Many of my relatives and friends are actually still in the industry today. So so that got my start. In fact, uh, fun fact. There was a very large uh, shell in situ fractionation plant that was being built uh, maybe about 20 miles from my house growing up. And wow. somehow through relationships, my father got a hold of the scale model of this plant, literally six feet by eight feet by about four feet high, built 100% to scale, this huge fractionation thing. And he thought it'd be a great idea to bring it home and give it to me as a, as a fun gift so I could see what this plant looked like. You can imagine my mother wasn't too enthusiastic <laughs> about having an eight foot by six foot by four yeah. foot high model sitting in our, our living room. That it didn't last very long. A, yeah. Wait, it, so it makes me think of what was the movie, right? With Richard Dreyfuss, uh, <laughs> right? Where he builds the mud counters, right? The mud mountain in his, in his living room. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, at least, exactly. At so I ended up giving it to my school. The, the school got it. It lasted in the house for about a week and then the, the school yeah. got it after that. But yeah, definitely been around the space for a while so i gotta but i gotta ask so what did you think when he well first of all how did he carry it in and secondly what, what how old were you did you say i was i was like eight 
Eight. And, that had to be uh, the coolest thing that ever happened to you. Absolutely the coolest thing. Like I was, <laughs> I think I was in tears when my mom said, no, no, out. you know? So yeah, yeah. this was a, absolutely the coolest thing I ever yeah. saw. And, uh, and I actually went and visited the real plant. Uh, they were just building it at the time, but over the next uh, number of years and truly an amazing thing and a big employer in my town too. That is, uh, that's, that's very cool. So the model was out. Did, did they have to get you like a puppy or something just to, to... <laughs> I, I don't remember, but, but really, you know, ever since those days, I've been a, a technology, uh, I guess a, a geek, you might say, oh, that's a where it started. Geek, right, yeah. that's, that's part of it. So it wasn't too long after that. I got one of the first Apple II computers in Northern Alberta and that yeah. sort of started my path to where we are today. Excellent. So, and so the path to where you are today, as I mentioned, uh, you got a lot of experience with uh, with a number of different te startups, tech companies, et cetera. I noticed there's a there's kind of a streak of product strategy, product marketing in there, apart from actually uh, running running those companies. Um, but now you're at Protexo, which uh, I and I can't remember how long. Uh, that company has been, I know you joined them recently this yeah. year, but, but they, what's the story there? Just, yeah, just a real yeah. quick, before we get to our main thing, what's, what's the story? You bet, on you bet. It's interesting and I think relevant story. So the company was founded in 2019 by like many startups, our group of technologists, engineers, architects who had seen a problem and been working on a problem really for the previous two decades. How do you create really high-performance, scalable uh, computing systems. A lot of these guys actually came from the gaming background where they're really good at processing yep, a huge yep. amount of data in real time. And then they'd look at the you know financial services industry or many other industries that for some reason needed 10 or 100 times the computing power to do the same thing that they were doing uh, yep, you yep. know, with, with a lot less. And so they realized that you know, the, obviously the cloud, you know, revolution had been going on since the early 2000s and a lot of uh, mind share had been put toward bringing software and applications and data into central clouds to be processed at scale, which is perfectly yeah. fine. But then the next level of uh, sort of the industrial revolution, so-called industry 4.0, was going to force a, re a reverse in those trends. And more and more of this data was going to have to be processed close to where it's generated on the so-called edge of systems devices, networks, and, and machines. Yeah, yeah. And they said, okay, we can take our experience in building these super scalable, resilient performance, uh, performance systems down out of central clouds and to the edge. And so they began in 2019 building the core technologies to do this. And then I joined uh, them the early this year to help them, uh, you know, to help them take that to the next level and commercialize the business. Yeah, yeah, okay. Cool. So, um, so there's a couple. There's a couple interesting things you said in there. One, uh, the gaming thing. So I. This is this is this is a little off the on the uh, side rail, but it, it's fascinating. I have some experience with this as well in other areas where people who started out uh, writing gaming software, let's say in the '90s, um, came into the industrial world or the business world, and they looked and they said, "Why are you doing it like that?" Yep. Like it's not, it, they just evolved in a completely like, like, why are you trying to load the entire data set? Why don't you just stream the data that you need exactly. out of the data set? Right. And, and it's really, it's fascinating though, but I think we're benefiting. I'm, I'm glad that some of the cool kids from gaming have, have crossed over here to the boring world of industry, because I think there's been a lot of benefit. 
Totally. And, and you touched on the, one of the magic words there is streaming, right? It is yeah. exactly not about gathering terabytes of data in a data warehouse and then dealing with it later. It's about how do you deal with streaming data? And now a lot of that streaming data is streaming out of IoT devices, sensors and systems, exactly. right? Exactly. And so, yeah, it's a, a very good parallel there. Right on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. All right. And, the, and it's something else. So you did mention um, you did mention Industry 4.0, which, uh, by the way, I know that you are... Uh, I know you're you're speaking. Well, uh, it's hard for me to say this week. Yeah, edge computing computing. next week. Yep, it's next week for us. It might not be next week for somebody Ah, who's good point. It will be this week for you're right. (laughs) Good point. Good point. So, uh, so it's October twelfth through the fifteenth. Yes. Yes. So those of you, uh, for those of you following me along at home, uh, if you you, there's a good chance you might be if if you're if you're a quick listener of the show when it first comes out, then you will hear about this and presumably you could tune in. Uh, and here, and so you're going to talk about Industry 4.0. Now, before we do that, I also have to tell you this. There's another funny thing that happened last night. Um, last night, we were having one of the OGGN Industry Mixer panel events, and I was moderating the panel, and we got to the point where, um, uh, you know, we take questions from the audience, and and somebody uh, stood up and said, what are you guys doing about Industry 5.0? And... <laughs> And there was silence. <laughs> like, do you mean Hawaii Five O? Like, what? <laughs> like, what? What is industry? So, is that a thing? Like, are we already going to Industry Five O? Well, it's and it's like, well, no, it's not five G. It's six G. And, and let's 6G. talk about and let's talk about seven G. Like, there's, there's all, yeah. yeah. There's there's always a new. There's always, of course, a new thing. And and uh, and now, uh, you know, you can either increment the number up a notch if you want to sound, you know, cool and exciting, Modern, or yeah. or you can talk about logistics four Energy 4.0, construction 4.0, everything, everything gotcha, is 4.0, gotcha. okay. right? But I okay. think the you know the basic principle basically is how do you you know digitally transform industrial processes through uh, you know the intelligent networking of machines, business processes, and people. I think that that's fundamentally what Industry 4.0 is all about. That's what I'm going to be talking about uh, shortly or at Edge Computing World. And then how can you use technology to more effectively make that happen? So I, you know, will there be a 5.0? I imagine somebody's going to come up with a definition, but 4.0 is primarily about the application of, you know, intelligent, create the application of and creation of intelligent systems, intelligent devices, sensors, software, working together to create more efficient, effective, autonomous uh, operations. Uh, what you know? What 5.0 could be after that? I'm not sure, but let's I, get, get 4.0 working right I, now. That's yeah, what yeah. we got to do. I just wanted to make sure that I, I didn't sound like I was dating myself by talking about Industry 4.0. Like that is, you know, like that's like that's so 2018. Why, why aren't you talking about? about <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah, it's a good point, though. And that's part of the thesis of what I'm talking about, you know, these days is yes. And even, you know, even Industry 3.0, which is about connected devices mm-hmm. and, and PLCs and SCADA systems. It's not like it's not like we haven't had connected industrial machines in energy or in any industry for right. quite a while now, right? The, the, yeah, yeah. the question is, are we actually getting the maximum value out of those things and how, how could we do that? Got it, got it. Okay, so um, so now that I know I'm not sounding like I'm behind the times and not talking <laughs> about Industry 5.0, um, I did notice that, I, I think it was somewhere I saw that your, your topic or your headline was about taking Industry 4.0 to the next level 
Um, now we, we use that take something to the next level a lot. Like that's been a, that's a, that's a favorite phrase, uh, in the, in the tech world for a long time. What, um, so, so what, what is that? Uh, what's the, so I know it's not five Oh yet, but maybe <laughs> let's, let's maybe start with, for those people who are still going, okay, I don't even know what industry four Oh is yet. Maybe, uh, you gave a quick description of mm-hmm. it, but let's talk about that a little bit more. Like, why is it important? You know, is it just the next you know, why is it not just a fad or a buzzword? Or I one time heard a uh, heard a CFO. I I forget which one of these one of these things. You know, these trends it was, and he said he said, yeah, that just sounds like another excuse for me to spend more money. Um, so why is this like? Why is it real, and why is it important to the industry? Yeah, well. You know, every every energy company CEO, you know, every board, every CTO, they know very well that their the industry in general and their company is and must be undergoing, uh, uh, you know, a transformation, right? The digitization mm-hmm. of their systems, but not just, you know, not just making everything digital, but making it different, making it better, right? right Going right. from you know manual processes to automated processes, as as an example, right? Increasing, right? And so this is not a matter of should we be doing these things? Of course we should be, you know, doing doing it, right? Everybody yeah. is trying to do it. It's the real question is how can you accelerate it, right? How can you get there faster? How can you create, uh, you know, differentiation and uh, you know against your competitors? So you can be, you know, doing things uh, interesting, important things for your business more quickly at lower cost. But it's you know it's it's not mostly about cost savings. It, it is about transforming the business and being able to do things more efficiently and effectively and and doing new things than what you could do before. So when when I talk about these things and we'll, obviously we're going to get more specific here in a few minutes it's it's never about should we be doing industry 4.0 should we be doing digital transformation that, that's just a that's a no-brainer right the question right. is how can we be more effective and efficient how can we accelerate the uh you know the design and provisioning and maintenance of of these kind of systems that will improve our operational efficiency and effectiveness that that's the question and that's, what, it, that's what this is all about, fundamentally, I think. Right. So, so if I were, so let me turn this around for just a second. If I were somebody uh, sitting at home listening to this going, well, I don't, you know, and let's say I'm, I'm, I'm running operations for yep. some oil company, some, some region. Well, I don't think we got industry 4.0 here. Uh, what right. what is it going to look like when we do? Like, what is like? And I know it's a it's a continuously evolving process, but like, but like, what is what does success look like if you say yes? We've really embraced this and we're getting yeah. value from it. Now. Yeah, great question, great question. So, well, okay. First, I'll define it in the negative. Success doesn't look like having 80% or more of the data that your IoT related system sensors devices are putting out is actually dark data. In other words, it's not actually being used. It's not being used to take an action in real time. It's not being used to make a decision. And that is the case in industry generally today and even specifically in the the energy industry. That that is exactly what's happening. So let me just clarify. So what you mean is um, because we we talk about this a lot, the idea that a lot of these uh, industrial systems that are out there that involve computers for controlling processes and things, that they do produce a a bunch of data. Um, And and, but but the kind of the working 
overarching assumption as always, or the understanding is that all the data that they produce is mostly just for the sake of supporting the function that it's connected to. And then once that function is complete, you know, whether that thing, the thing is opened or closed or whatever happens, then that data is really no longer useful. And today what we're doing with digital transformation is we're saying, hey, we'd like to get at some of that data because we can use it for other purposes. But I think what you just said is even within the contained system itself, a lot of the data that's being produced isn't even being used to support the functions that it was there for? Is that yeah, in fact, especially within the contained uh, system itself, because, you know, some of this data is being, well, I, sh I probably should should be careful. Some of the data is being sent to central systems, maybe, you know, ERP systems or MES systems, you know, for manufacturing yeah, yeah. operations, that, that kind of stuff. So some is right. being used for overall coordination, control and tracking, right? Which yeah, is important. Yeah. You have to do that. Right. So that's not going away. Right. And, and some of it might be used for, you know, real time control. So, you know, when a, when a, a machine hits hundred degrees, the, the cooling pump turns on, right? Yep. You know, some of right. that is being done today, but there's a, there's a wide gap between those two things. So rather than only just turning the cooling pump on when the machine gets above hundred degrees, why not, you know, intelligently predict exactly what level of coolant flow will always keep that machine at, at 82 degrees, which is the optimal operating temperature, which you've learned over time because you're doing data collection uh, right, and a machine right, learning right. model has, has told you that 82 degrees is exactly the right temperature to keep this thing at all the time if you want to maxim maximize production efficiency, right? Yep. yep now, now I don't know, that, that may sound like to some of you, you'll be saying, well, yeah, we're doing that already. Great. Uh, a lot of you <laughs> are saying that. Half of those people are yeah. lying. Though, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. And, and, and some are saying, well, that sounds like science fiction. That, that's impossible, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's actually not impossible because now we've got to the point where we can take instead of sort of hardwired, you know, PLCs and, and control systems, we can now have more software-based uh, systems that can take the intelligence right down close to where the data is being generated. So you don't have to put terabytes of data up into, up into any central cloud or central system. You mm -hmm. can do that processing locally, but still make it in real time, still be able to control machines and systems, uh, you know, as they're generating the data and, and maybe we'll get to this after, but, and be able to do this in very complex environments that are either partially or totally disconnected from central systems, from, from hyperscaler clouds, from the public internet, because it's the other thing we see a lot in industry 4.0 is they are not able to either for the reasons we can discuss, connect these systems into, you know, higher level clouds or control systems. So how do you run these complex edge computing uh, applications when you, when it's hard to access them? You know, that's another yeah, variable, yeah, yeah. another reason why a lot of companies aren't doing much of this yet today because they haven't cracked that nut. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm glad that you brought up the complex environments thing because this is where, for a lot of folks um, in oil and gas, um, this is where it, a lot of this stuff breaks down relative to other industries that don't have. And you yes. almost, and this comes up all the time. You all, you really almost have to be in the oil and gas industry to really appreciate the complexities that we're talking about. Um, yeah. You know, you see it all the time where consulting companies come in and 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 they they they, they think that they and, and they equate it to something that they already some reference point that they already know, but it's nothing it's nothing like that. And so, 
how um you know so so let's let's go to that because yeah. because as soon as all that stuff that you said sounds really good until you start talking about you know all the different all the distributed places and the and the disconnected things and the siloed systems and that like all of that complexity is um that's what makes it start to sound like magic i think yeah. right yeah no that's right and that's and you know one level of complexity is one thing but when you've got multiple layers you know coming together it you know it does become challenging right the first of all there's you know all the devices sensors systems that are running take a take an offshore oil rig i like to talk about this this use case right you know, right your audience knows it, the, i'm sure many of them know this very well you know super complex 20 to 30,000 sensors you know now running pushing off data in real time on one of these rigs uh, mm -hmm. there's there's you know, unless you've got a, a fiber line, you know, laid under the ocean to uh, to home base, it's just impossible to push all that data around, even if you right. wanted to, right? It right, has right. to be, and and then even if you could do that, why would you want to? That's that's the next thing. But these systems, obviously, <laughs> security is is paramount. You know, you, yep. you if you can uh, process data without having to send it somewhere else, that's going to be a very important uh, value proposition to the security paradigm where you can keep most processing right next to or close to the machinery, the systems or the people that you're working on uh, because of this. Uh, oh, the other issue that we get in these complex environments is multiple siloed systems. Yeah, a lot of disjointed data sources. So we see it in energy, also in shipping, where you've got you got your HVAC control systems, your your various systems for your different sets of machines. You've got uh, you know cargo management. You've got anybody in the control center of one of these operations sees multiple different, totally disconnected systems that are all connected to their own sets of IoT devices and sensors, and. That's and, and they're using the humans, the people to be the integration point between yeah, them, of right? Course. right. Yeah, which yeah. which is uh, it's better than not having the data from all these devices, sensors and systems for sure. But right. if you want to get to a point where you can have real time, increasingly autonomous, increasingly intelligent systems, uh, you know, running on your oil on your oil platform, then you have to break down those data silos. And yeah. be able to, uh, you know, I, I, maybe it's a fancy jargon, but um, democratize the data stream. So yeah, you yeah, can yeah, build yeah. intelligent applications on top on your rig on top of a, a common data stream where you can see what's going on in the different systems and then make intelligent decisions that span across those systems for, you know, the, this future of uh, very hyper efficient autonomous, you know, energy operations. That's just going to be required. Yeah. Okay. So. So, uh, congratulations, you, you, uh, you, you win the prize. So, and, and so those, so those, uh, regular listeners know that, uh, I, 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 I have this thing that I say, no matter what, no matter what topic we cover, um, we will all, well, you, you haven't, you've actually got two out of three, but I know, but I can oh, hear damn. the third one. The third one is already coming. Like it's already in your voice. We, it doesn't matter what topic in this industry we talk about when it comes to the technology and digital is we're going to talk about data. We're going to talk about silos and we're going to talk about culture or organizational change. Mm. Right. And that mm -hmm. last thing that you just said, yeah. right. You start right. talking about autonomous things and all that, but, but, um, all of a sudden the next topic is, okay, well, what does this mean to the people? uh, who are working out there, but, um, there is one, but, but just rewinding just a little bit, um, uh, the one, another 
piece of complexity that sometimes we don't mention or think about in all those things that you just said is in most of these environments, it's also not just one company operating there, yeah. right? It's not even just two companies operating there. And so that also as a whole, I mean, do you see that like as you're out there working with customers where there's complexity that comes from the fact that, you know, the like Technip, Technip FMC is actually operating the stuff, but, you know, the, but the, somebody else is doing, does that, does that make, for more trouble um, well it, it does add to the complexity no doubt and say yeah. you know in the maritime industry i think they're now something like 250 just on the software side solution providers who have built software it's, solutions you know targeting yeah. that industry right i've seen i've seen right. the list and 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 most of those companies have built their solutions fundamentally around cloud-based architectures. The notion is you get some data into our application, which is running in the cloud, and then we'll help you do something with it. And right. so, yeah, companies are challenged to, to uh, you know, break down the application silos, the hardware silos, uh, the organization yeah, silos, yeah, yeah. You, you touched on it. Now, so, but I want to be very careful because this is starting to sound like a very big complex. We've been talking about complexity for the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and yeah. then, uh, you know, probably we've lost half your listeners already saying, well, I'm never going to solve all that I'm complexity. Not, well, that's, so okay. let's, you know, so let's, let's leave. Right. Right. No, and, but that's where I was headed. That's what I wanted to do is to say, okay, <laughs> now that we've, now that we've like, like, like what's a company to do right yeah. now that, now that we've, you know, because, because the reality is there are, um, I mean, that's, that's why you were so interested in the job at Protexo, if I remember yeah, yeah, exactly. correctly is, is there is actually a path forward to this. Otherwise you wouldn't be standing up at edge computing world and yeah. embarrassing yeah. yourself yeah. talking about yeah. it. Right. So, so right. what is it, what does it look like? Well, and that's why, you know, fundamentally what I'm, what I'm bringing to market is you might call it a general purpose, uh, edge computing platform as a service which allows you to, first of all, to get past the complexity trap and the, the blocker is to start small, right? Find one very specific use case, uh, you know, machine vibration, maybe, right? Uh, you right. Know, on, on, the, on an oil rig head and, and start measuring that uh, and start running some what I, we call micro applications that are able to take that data in real time and basically do some basic reporting, run some rules, may, maybe do some notifications and alerts. Okay. And I get it. There's a lot of software out there and hardware out there that can do that one specific use case very, very well, probably. Yep. Yep. But, yep. but here's the trick. You want to be doing two things. You want to be gradually expanding the usefulness uh, and, and effectiveness of that particular use case, maybe by layering in later using machine learning to predict when that machine is going to have a problem versus just sensing a vibration and sending a notification. You want to be able to get predictive. So you want to be able to, you know, back to streaming, stream in updates and enhancements to that particular application as it gets more uh, intelligent over time without having to start over from scratch. Put in yeah. new hardware, new software, a new sensor. No, you don't have to do that because you've got a general purpose edge computing platform that allows you to, to do that. So that's one thing. Make that particular application more intelligent, uh, more performant and capable, add new capabilities to it. But then you want to start adding in application and, you know, two, three, four, five, six right? Another set of adjacent motors or systems. Maybe you want to, while you're tracking the, the 
the performance of, uh, of motors that are local. You want to also detect how many people are close to that machine, right? Using cameras and object detection. You want to have these, these systems that are able to be expanded, adding additional use cases over time, again, without starting over each time. You want Another way to think about that is you want to be able to drive this transformation that we've been talking about uh, in a very logical, orderly manner to get to the grand goal. Maybe, maybe the ultimate vision is, you know, hands off, lights off uh, oil platform, right? That's fully autonomous and roves around the right. sea trying to find oil. Maybe that is the 20 year vision or the 50 year vision. But as you're between now and then, there's a heck of a lot of steps and processes. Yeah. And you don't right. want to have to be ripping out your entire software and hardware architecture every time you go from A to B to C to D. And that's sort of where we are today, frankly, with a lot of these hardwired uh, systems, siloed systems. And we want to, you know, to be able to take a, an approach which is has that, that natural evolution path. And then again, I, I want to say to that evolution gets a little more complex if your systems are are often or permanently disconnected from you know public clouds and ways of, of having them updated so that's another variable in the energy industry which needs to be addressed by this you, you need to be able to do the evolution and you need to be able to do it in a quasi connected or disconnected environment right got it okay so um the evolution part i mm -hmm. think and that's what kind of sticks with me. So, because what you were describing, especially in the there uh, in the earlier part of that, is um, like this idea of start with this one piece, yep. this one application, this one you know whatever it is. Uh, what was it you said? Oh, yeah, it a micro app, a micro app. Yeah, micro yeah. app. Yeah, and so with vibration on a particular motor, um, and then uh, and then and we go, oh, well, that works really nicely. We like what we're getting from that, and then we. We're gonna now we're gonna extend it to this piece or here and that and and then and then pretty soon you're you're saying okay now we've got this whole this whole uh, use case or this whole piece of the operation right. and now we want to extend. so I can see how that like that makes sense like you just keep growing this capability now here's what I want to ask you is um, first of all I think that that sounds because I think what people might do that sounds like a sensible way to do it because otherwise what people what i think i see people doing in some cases is they are they're sh kind of shopping each of those different operational slices or use cases to different solution software type people uh who kind of specialize on that thing mm -hmm. uh, and oftentimes it's connected to kind of what their traditional business is right with the actual uh with the actual systems um, or the services, right. and and my and the and the thing is, then you end up with aren't we then just going to have a whole bunch of industry four O silos built on the old on the old side? And and because all these things they advertise that everything is open and interconnectable and everything, but we all know that that's not always the case, right? So what you're describing sounds like a much better future-proofed way of doing it, uh, where I don't somewhere down the road think. That I wish I would have chosen these guys for this piece instead of those guys for this piece. Right, um, right, right. But it also sounds a little bit like rolling your own, which historically means like more time, more money. Like I got to get people, I got to get skills that know how to do this. Like now I got to, you know, it's the whole reason why I buy this stuff from other from from other, and I don't want to mention any, you know, the, the usual suspects, right? It's the whole reason why I buy it from them is because mm -hmm. I don't want to have to do this in house. So, yeah, yeah. so like, 
So what do you have to say to that? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's no, my, good, good observation. My, and, yeah. and I think the, uh, you know, the, the companies have to realize they are the buyers. They've got the power, right, over the vendors to right. say, hey, you, you've got a great application, you know, for predictive analytics on vibrating machines of this particular brand, Okay. And, and, you know, that's the level that many of these applications are built to today. They're very, very specific in terms of what they, what they deliver. And that's, and that's, uh, and that's fine. They're experts on that particular brand of machine and knowing how vibration on that machine will predict something. That's, that's fantastic. But, but then do you really want with your 20,000 sensors and devices, there's maybe a hundred or 200 different kinds of sensors on these different machines. Do you really want to be running in the long run, 200 different cloud-based applications or in 200 applications anywhere, right? Well, to make now sense that you put it this, that way, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not sustainable. It doesn't, no. it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. And then you've got, and then you're never going to create one integrated, automated, efficient operation end to end with that approach. And so, and we're seeing this, especially even in the shipping industry right now is for our clients there is the the uh, buyers, the major shipping lines, are saying to their vendors, you will put your software to run on this micro cloud running on the ship, this this edge-based uh, micro cloud, right? Because we, we know you architected your system for the cloud. That's fine. Uh, we want you to move it down, run on this micro cloud that we now have running on our ship or on our rig so that we can, and they can connect it to this common feed of IoT devices and sensor data. And this is at least the first step in breaking down uh, these silos. So the mm-hmm. buyers, I think, have to exercise their power and not just give in to, you know, to all the micro vendors, right? And, uh, and think yeah, about their yeah. longer term uh, platform strategy. And, and I yeah, firmly yeah. believe that platform strategy needs to be fundamentally based on, on the edge and, and cloud computing working together. Again, I'm not arguing that, I'm not saying clouds are dead, but they're appropriate right. for certain types of, of uh, things like model training, you know, model AI model creation and training, connecting to ERP and CRM and MES systems and those kind of things. There's a lot of good systems that are, that should be run in the cloud, but you know, 80% of your data and decision-making needs to be done on the edge and it needs to be done in a, in a common platform, we believe. Yep, yep. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, it seems like we have to learn that lesson over and over again over the, I mean, you and I both been kicking around long enough that how many times has there been some new thing that we say, we're going to do everything here, right? ERP, everything's going to happen in the ERP system. And then pretty soon we find out, well, actually, there are some things that we maybe don't want to do there and they need to be done somewhere else. So like th- it's a yeah. recurring pattern. So it's not it's not surprising that that's where we are. But I, I do want to, um, there's something else there too, which is, uh, and this is, I'm going to, um, uh, I mean, uh, you, I, I know from what, I mean, you're being, you're being very nice in that, like putting out a pretexto sales pitch out there, but I do know that what you guys have done, because I think this part is impressive is the part about how I need to go ahead, this platform approach. A lot of times the platform approach scares people away because that just sounds like a lot of work for me. Right. But I, if I understand, I mean, you guys have really simplified this mm. to where you can you can use your platform 
um, to very quickly deploy, operate, build, and 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 am I on the right track with that? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, see, it sounds like you've made. I mean, everybody says they make it easy, but but from what I understand, it sounds like you actually have made it relatively easy. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Easy is you know, if there's a company in the world that doesn't say their thing is easy, then they should right. fire their and, marketing director, right? So, <laughs> uh, you know, but but fundamentally, yeah. you're right. The the notion of Protexo was originated around this concept of a very efficient uh, configurator, okay? So just yeah, like yeah. as if you went to, you want a new laptop, you go to Dell.com, you might say, I want this kind of screen, this this much memory, you know, you, you configure your laptop and then it makes sure you can't make incompatible choices and all that kind of thing. Right, uh, right. Well, think of this as an edge computing platform as a service con configurator. That's how it starts. And so, you know, either we can work with you directly or your favorite systems integrator or you name it to use this, this uh, configuration engine to do the initial design of what you need to support your particular scenario. Are you on a rig, a platform, you know, you, does, does weight, does energy efficiency matter? There's all kinds of factors that might cause your architecture to be different, right? Right, but, sure. So you could, and again, you could have a bunch of little purpose-built, very specific uh, platforms to deal with each of those scenarios, or you can have a very configurable system that allows you to adapt not only for where your, what your use cases are today and your applications are today, but as they grow and change in the future, right? That's the other thing. The other yeah, reason yeah. why this configuration approach is so important because maybe this particular system works perfectly well today, but two years from now, when you're running AI algorithms and streaming updates in real time, that platform is going to be not suitable. And so you need something that can be very custom for what you're doing and then is able to adjust and enhance and keep your, your system up and running and enhanced and maintained. Uh, you know, very quickly and efficiently. And that, that was really the genesis of Protexo to begin with, actually, was to take this decades of experience of our engineering and architecture team, building all of these co complex systems for NASA, PayPal, some of the biggest, most complex organizations in the world and saying, can we take our knowledge and experience and put it into software so that we don't have to have people who have all of this knowledge and experience and uh, but can still stand up these systems very, very quickly and efficiently. And we know they're going to work right the first time. You're not going to spend six months or a year debugging uh, the core, you know, the core system or architecture. So that, that's a lot of the foundation of what we're about. Yeah, got it. Got it. And and you, you, you sort of hinted at something there that has also become very important in this industry uh is uh you know well i guess the buzzword is time to value but in other words if i do this thing um you know so i'm gonna go get budget and approval to do this and tomorrow they're gonna ask me <laughs> for yeah. the results right like the like it's very quick the expectation of compared to you know historically in this industry you know, people were very content to undertake long-term projects that spent a lot of money and paid off much later. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the case anymore. Yeah. No, it's my, my rule of thumb is if, if it takes you more than a week 
to get to some value, then then you probably define the the application too big or the tools you're using are too complex. And and you're, what you're really doing is just learning on the job, right? How to use these various components and tools. And and uh, it, it's it's absolutely possible to get to real value very, very quickly these days. You know, it's, it's incredible, yeah. actually, how quick it is. And that's a big sea change from five, 10 years ago when IoT was just at the, you know, in its early stages. I really, I like to think of what we do at Protexo as unlocking the value of IoT and and the coming value of AI. And so much of it has been still not unleashed or unlocked in in the market today. And it's about how quickly can we unlock the value in some of the existing projects that are already underway, take them to the next level. And then, of course, all the next things that people want to do the next level. Yeah, no, that's good. And the, you know, the existing projects, that's a good, um, that, that's actually a whole nother topic in and of yep. itself, which we don't have time for because I'm, because oh. my little clock is telling me that we're kind of <laughs> getting at that point where we don't want people to change the channel, but, um, but, um, the existing, so that's a whole, but you make a, a, yep. a good point, which is, um, this isn't, it's not, um, it's not like Greenfield out there in a lot of cases. So um, people have been working on this. Um, the, I, you know, it's it, there's various, as you said, they haven't had a lot of success, but there's various decisions that have already been made. There's stuff out there. There's, you know, and and if you're gonna if you're gonna help take a what was it industry industry 4.0 to the next level, yeah. you're going to have to be able to come in and add value to some of the things that have already been done and work with what's there, right? No doubt. You can't yeah, just, no, nobody, nobody right now in this industry, yeah. yeah, nobody in this industry right now is going to go to their boss and say, you know what? We've changed our mind. We want to scrap everything that we've done already. And <laughs> we want to do something new. Right. So right. you have to be able to come in and, uh, and work with, with what's there. So that's good. So, uh, usually at this point, I, um, I would ask, how do people find out more about you or what you're doing? But we already covered that and that you are b- going to be speaking at Edge Computing World. Now, is that going to be recorded? Like if people miss it, can they can they go back and look at it? I believe it is. And uh, people can go to look up Edge Computing World on, on your favorite search engine. I think it is actually free for people to attend. Of course, if people can always find me very easily at protexo.com and uh, through LinkedIn, of course, uh, Blaine Matthew, I'm, I'm a pretty easy guy to get a hold of. I, I can say that, and and your name, uh, which which people can see uh, in the show notes or in the title, is uh, so you know I always do a, a little homework on on people, um, uh, you know, like I mean, like not like I, I do five minutes of homework on people before they come <laughs> on the show, and which is how I found out about you being a master scuba instructor, which ah, we can talk about later, yes. but. Um, but I always do a little homework and not just LinkedIn, right? Because you can, it's, sometimes it's interesting when you just search and see, like sometimes you find out, oh, well, this person was, a, you know, the, the president of their local little league chapter or whatever. Um, and your name, like, but usually you have to wade through the, oh, that's not that person. That's a different person. But, but you search for Blaine Matthew and it's pretty much just you. Like you're the only thing that comes up. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been pretty active over the last few decades in enterprise software and in the d- digital transformation of inter- uh, industry. And I'm also lucky that my name is fairly uniquely spelled. So there are not many yeah. people with my name in the world. Sometimes people do confuse me with David Blaine, though. So he and I are uh, blood brothers. That, that's the only okay. one that I get confused yeah. with. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, very good. Thank you uh, again for making time. It is uh, it is it is Friday for us. So uh, I, I unfortunately my day is not over, but hopefully uh, you're going to have a good weekend, and we'll uh, 
we will look to uh, catch you at Edge Computing World next week. Thanks a lot. And I would just maybe depart, I would say, for your listeners, especially if you're on the business side, ask your tech team, do you have a technology strategy in place that uses edge computing to maximize the benefits of your IoT and AI initiatives? A- ask them that question, see what the answer is. And, see, what, uh, just look at their yeah, eyes. Yeah, look in their eyes. It doesn't matter what their mouths are saying. <laughs> look in their eyes. That's a very good, uh, good point, Michael. Thank you so much for okay. the interview today. Appreciate it. All right, sure. Okay, thanks, Blaine. Well, there you go, folks. Blaine Matthew, smart guy, knows a lot of stuff. In fact, I think we're going to have to have him back on the show before too long, and maybe we'll dig into uh, a few of those a few of those side side topics that we touched on because it's it's all really it's very relevant to what's happening in the industry. It's interesting stuff. Blaine has a lot of great insight. Uh, but in the meantime, you, of course, you can catch him at Edge Computing World, October twelfth through the fifteenth. If that date has already passed by the time you're listening to this, I'm sure there's a recording that you can check out. You know, there's a couple things I got to say before I wrap up. One is, well, okay, so maybe you're, maybe this is the first time that you're ever listening to this, to this show and you're saying to yourself, you know, this is a pretty good podcast. They should do more of these. Well, it turns out we do more of these. So all you got to do is go to OGGN.com. That's the Oil and Gas Global Network. And uh, you can see, you can find out about all of our podcasts. Uh, you can even read a little bit about the uh, the hosts, and you know they got our pictures there and the bios. Um, my bio, you know, it might may or may not be exactly historically accurate, but you can you can learn about all the. We have a lot of great shows, um, and they're all aimed at oil and gas. And now we're kind of broadening our sites to the to the to the broader energy industry because um, we will never stop being oil and gas advocates. We love the industry. We we build community. In fact, in fact. Uh, if you haven't been to one and you're in Houston, then you need to come to one of our industry mixers because, uh, and they're on the last Thursday of every month. And, and, you know, old friends, new friends from the industry get together. There's food, there's drinks. There's always a great panel discussion. So if you're in Houston around the, th- the last Thursday of any month, pick a month, and that's where you need to be, somewhere around 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening. You can learn all about that. Uh, but yeah, the best way is just follow us on LinkedIn, and we, we post lots of information about what we're doing. Um, something else that you can do if you are in Houston, uh, if you live here, or if you're just visiting one day and you really would like to have a cool place to work, then you need to go to any... Uh, any location, uh, the Canon. Just look for, uh, look on the maps for the Canon in Houston. Uh, really cool co-working facilities, and they are friends of ours. Which means that all you have to do is tell them at the desk, say, "I heard about this on OGGN," and here's what they will say: "Oh, really? Here's a free day pass. Feel free to hang out and use the facilities here." So that's uh, that's a, that's a great deal if you're in Houston. That is going to wrap it up. I do want to say uh, thanks again to uh, our sponsor HPE and. Thanks, as always, to Mr. Mac Roman, my audio fixer guy, who always makes us sound fantastic. That's going to do it, folks. And you know, you can always, anytime you need a little, uh, you know, you need a little boost, you need a little pick-me-up, you need to feel good about the progress that we are making in this industry, then you can listen to any one of these Digital Doers shows where we talk about people in the real world who are getting digital done. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.